All right, Merry Christmas, CLC. You all may be seated. Welcome to part three of Wrapped in Rags. Isn't there so much good music this time of year? It's unbelievable. Um, yeah, it's just that if, if you don't know, that was a, a bit of Handel's Messiah, written in 1741. And uh, I, I just I wanted to play the part that talks about wonderful counselor, almighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, and the government will be upon his shoulder. It's, it's truly Handel's masterpiece. He, it was an incredible, incredible piece of music. And, and honestly, he wrote that, he called it the Messiah because what he did was, you've got in the Bible, you've got the Old Testament and the New Testament. And what Handel did is he went back into the Old Testament and all of, looked up the prophecies, all, a bunch of the prophecies about the coming Messiah, the coming Savior of the world. <coughs> and he put that into music. And it's incredible because you, you've got this these, these wonderful counselor, almighty God. If you've never actually kind of looked at those prophecies in Isaiah, this is Isaiah 9. If you haven't looked at those in, in depth, <clears throat> you need to because it's incredible to see how much you can see Jesus Christ in those prophecies. Um, but what's interesting about the prophecies in Isaiah is as much as there's th these, these big, awesome, wonderful prophecies, there's, there's almost, there's like two sides to the coin for the, the Messiah. There's another one that's in Isaiah 53. It goes like this. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. This is talking about the Messiah that he'd come and, and spring up. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. That is as wonderful and, and, and mighty God and all of these big things, there's also a side to Jesus that was almost like despicable. Almost like, like you just you you would you would want to turn away. You don't want to see it. And, and we see that every Christmas in the manger. When the God of the universe, the coming Messiah, as we believe if you're a Christian was wrapped in rags. We talked about this the, the first week, a couple weeks ago. If you were the God of the universe, honestly, it, it's, it, I think it's good for us to think about this sometime. If you were the God of the universe, put yourself in, in, in God's shoes for a minute. And you were going to reveal yourself to a world that had largely turned its back on you. How would you come? 
When would you come? Where would you come? How would you make yourself known? What would you do to prove that you are real, to prove that you are good, to, to, to prove that you are loved, to, to prove that you are a justice? None of us would, be, would choose to be born in a manger. We just wouldn't. And yet every Christmas, we are faced with the fact that the God of the universe was wrapped in rags. And we have to wrestle with that. And that there's the, the, the God of the universe, that there was nothing about him that we would desire him. No beauty or majesty to attract us to him. <clears throat> Years ago, Christy and I bought our first house. And it, um, if you bought real estate in the mountains, you know it, it can be difficult. It can be. And, and at the time, we were really, really poor. We were not making much money. And so our budget was, this is so fun. You'll get a kick out of this, especially if you're familiar at all with, with Evergreen Real Estate. But it, we literally, our budget was $150,000 which is just laughable. And after like six months of a realtor showing us, you know, houses and stuff like that, she's like, you might want to up it to 200. We're like, geez, I don't know if we can do that. So, you know, like we looked at finances. Well, finally found a house. It actually was two houses on one lot. And it was a disaster. And, and when we walked in, it was like, like the, there, was no, there was no flooring in part of the house. Like, like one of the houses was a double wide trailer from, 1969. We just celebrated its 50th anniversary this year. We had a party. It was awesome. Because it's still kicking. It's still running. But here's the deal. We were so desperate. We, were, we, were, we, we found this place, and we were like, I hope we get it. And we'd bring our friends to it and be like, look at our house. We got it. And they're like, huh, it's really cool, Josh and Christy. Like, they were really kind, but we could tell they were like, what is wrong with you? Oh, and see, every Christmas we come kind of face to face with the fact that there was parts of Jesus, the way he purposefully lived his life, that other people around him said, oh, a manger, that's great. Nazareth, really? Nazareth is where you're from? That's cool. And then, of course, all the way to a cross? Huh. Death on a cross? And there's things about Jesus that we have to, to wrestle with. There's something that, that, that we don't, that's hard to appreciate with him sometimes. And so today, I wanted to share with you the verse that I've, I, a verse that I've never preached on before. It's a very popular verse. In fact, we'll see here in a second. It's actually Jesus' most popular sermon. And I haven't preached on it because not because I didn't think it's important or I don't think it's true, because I don't like it. <laughs> it's one of those verses that makes me go, huh, I don't know if I want life to be that way. It's found in Matthew 5. And if you grew up in church, you know of it as the Beatitudes. Jesus is on a mountainside one day, and he had his disciples around him and probably a large crowd. And he began to teach. And he said this, and, and, and we're going to read it here. And, and honestly, it, this is, it uses the word blessed are the, and then it fills in a blank. Remember that if you grew up in Sunday school? Blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry. The word blessed could betray us because we don't use that word much. 
a better word for it is probably happy. And I understand why Bible translators don't use the word happy, because happy can be sappy. But happy is ultimately what you and I are after. We're, we're, we're a lot, if, if we're really honest with ourselves, we're, we're on a happiness quest. And what Jesus is about to outline here is, this is, if, if he was here, he'd be like, guys, I'm going to preach a sermon on how to be happy today. If you're on a happiness quest, this sermon is for you. So, so I might replace the word blessed with happy sometimes because I think it fits our mind frame better. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to just keep reading. I'm just going to keep going. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. This is the one I like the least. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, I want to try something a little interactive here this morning. Let's start with this pile here. And I, I, want you to, I want you to respond to this. Is anybody here today want to experience heaven? Don't be shy. Oh, you want to experience heaven? Here you go. You, here you go. You get the experience heaven card. Does anybody want an inheritance from God? Oh, right over here. I know. It's so, he says soul, but, but his hand was up first. There you go. So, okay. How many of you or anybody here would like to be known as a child of God? Oh, Roy's got this one. And, and, and then, I mean, come on, we're in a church. Does anybody want to see God this morning? Amen? Any, uh, Jan wants to see God. Okay, so those went like hotcakes. Let's try this pile. Does anybody want to mourn? Any, any big mourners in here? That's not fair. Anybody hungry? Anybody, anybody, okay. Anybody want to be hungry? Oh, and thirsty. Like all the time, hungry and thirsty? No? No takers on that one? Uh, who wants to be poor in spirit? Anybody poor? In, no, anybody want to be poor? Okay, no, I don't think so on that one. Okay, how about meek? Men. Is there a man that wants to be meek? No. I don't think so. Just checking. It's the last one right here. Oh, yeah. You want to be persecuted? Anyone? Raise your hand. How, why didn't this pile go? Why didn't you get, why didn't you take this? It, it, it's because it's unpleasant, right? It, it's it's uh, undesirable. These are things we don't desire. I don't daydream about, I just hope I get persecuted tomorrow. It'd be great. You know, like, if, you know, uh, next week, if I could be poor in spirit, that would just be, all week would be amazing. But let's read this again. Let's, let's, let's read this again from the top. This is Jesus. He's saying, you want to be happy? 
is this. Happy are the poor in spirit. Those who are poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is so important to note. But in the kingdom of God, what we desire most comes first through the undesirable. In the kingdom of God, what we desire, desiring these, those things you guys took, comes through these. And and there's no way around it according to Jesus. See, maybe you've heard of the, like the, the the gospel being called good news, the story of you know, the Bible is the good book, and it has good news in it, and it does. But before it is good news, the Bible is bad news. See, see good news is, is the good news is that God loves you. That that to to God you are so valuable and so precious that you're worth dying for. That's the good news. The bad news is, in order to get to the good news, we have to come to grips with certain things. We have to acknowledge that we are sinners. The the, the good news of the gospel is first bad news because it says that we're sinners, that we're broken. It's almost like becoming aware of the gospel is, is like becoming aware of a bunch of splinters in your hands. Splinters that need to be taken out. When we realize what the gospel is, we start to realize that something needs to take, be taken out of us, something that is harmful. And in order to get that out, it'll hurt. We have to come face to face with it. That's the bad news. It's undesirable. But until we face this, we are in danger of missing God. Indeed, many of us have. We've missed God because we're like, if, if that's what it means to follow God, obviously th- that's wrong because, because that doesn't seem like life. That doesn't seem like something I desire to do to face all that. And we miss it. The gospel is an invitation. It's an invitation to be part of the kingdom. It's an invitation to be comforted. It's an invitation to find ultimate fulfillment, to be shown mercy, to be called a child of God, to see God. It's all there. That's what the gospel is. But it's first an invitation to be poor in spirit, to mourn and be sad, to extend mercy to difficult people. It's first. The, the time and place to, to face impurities in our heart because they got to go. The gospel is at first bad news before it is good news. The gospel is first tragedy before it is a comedy. And Jesus, before he was resurrected, he was born in a manger 
and died on a cross. And see, if we resist that, eventually, if we resist it long enough, we won't accept it. It's too hard. It's too undesirable. But we can't forget that on the other side of the undesirable is what we desire most. This is, <laughs> this is so hard to preach, but like, for some of us, I think the best thing that we can do for ourselves is to mourn. For some of us, the best thing that, like, honestly, like, if you and I were to sit down and talk today, that maybe I would say, you know, the best thing that you can do is to be sad. Now, honestly, that's where I'm at right now. Many of you know that I lost my dad on June 1st. And it's just, it doesn't get easier. Every day is a battle, and most days I don't want to fight that battle. I, I just don't. I, 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 I know, but yet I know that in order to get through this, I need to be honest with people. I need to be open with them. And I need to be not afraid to just shove those feelings back down because if I do, it might destroy me, right? We all know that. But it's hard. It's undesirable. And as undesirable as the need to mourn, that's what we need to do in order to be comforted. Maybe you've lost something. Maybe you've lost someone. Maybe, maybe you have, a, have had a death of a dream. Maybe it's time for you to mourn. Some of us need to become weak. The best thing for us is to become meek. <laughs> I used to, like I, I said, this is my least favorite one. I hate the word meek. And slowly in the last couple of years, I've, I've come to embrace it and come to realize how important it is. See, to be meek is not to be weak. To be meek is not to be a doormat or to be docile, right? Men, men, we need to become more meek. And becoming, to be meek just simply means that I don't need your approval to be confident in myself. Someone who's meek has nothing to prove. Because they know who they are, and they know who God is. And so they're meek. And blessed are the meek. Why, what does it say? The blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Because they won't put, they won't put their, their, their self-worth in anything but God. They won't put them, their, their self-worth in stupid things that can be taken away. Blessed are the meek. Do you know that it's good, that hunger is, is good? That, that we were made? Like, honestly, I see that, that, that hunger is a God-given thing. It's the way he's created us. That we are made to long and to desire for good things and then to be filled with them, whether that be food, drink, love, acceptance, and ultimately God himself. We were made to be hungry for that. And if you're, like, like, honestly, sometimes we hunger for the wrong things or hunger for good things in the wrong way, right? And those things get out of control. And if that's you, I would encourage you to pray not for, the, not for hunger to de decrease, but actually for hunger to increase, for your hunger and your thirst for righteousness to increase, to overwhelm bad habits, bad desires, and for God to, to come in and to watch God come in and redeem those things and to flood the bad desires. Pray, I, I, pray for, I pray for you to be more hungry 
I heard it once said that hunger is the currency of the kingdom of God. I love that. It just stuck with me because it means like, like we are made to be hungry. We are made to be hungry for him and to, to, to seek him out and find our fill in him, right? And be satisfied with him. And then just like, just like a good meal, you're hungry the next day. So you go back for more of him. We were made for that. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What does it say? For they will be filled. The most fulfilling life is to be hungry for God. For some of us, the best thing that we can do is pursue peace or be merciful or pursue purity. I could go through all these, but not, and none of them are easy. And yet, according to Jesus, they're necessary for happiness. And last but not least, the best, I think the best thing for all of us is for us to be poor in spirit. I think there's a reason that Jesus led off with that one. Happy is the person who's poor in spirit. And what he means by that is happy is the person who recognizes at key Moments in their lives, their poverty before God. That without God, that they're lost. Blessed is the person. Happy is the person who understands, I, I, I'm a sinner. I, I, I'm broken before you. I need your mercy. That's a happy person. See, in this, this type, honestly, like I was thinking about preaching this. I was like, how do I, like, how do I say this? But like, I, I hope, like, I wish for you to be sad. I want you to be sad. Not all the time, obviously. But I want us to be sad when, when sin is, is, is breaking our lives. We, we need to be sad. Blessed are those who mourn over the brokenness of the world, of a world that, 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 that children are treated the way children are. Right? The opposite of mourning is not, the op, yeah, the opposite of mourning is, is to not care. I want you to care, which means when you care, you're sometimes, you're sad. I once heard it said that the Christian is both the happiest and the saddest person on earth. It's true. Happy because of the hope that we have that was in the manger wrapped in rags that we celebrate today. But sad because of what we know this world, what's in this world and what we're coming to face in our own lives. But we won't settle for it. I wish for us to be sad because with Jesus being sad is not bad. Being broken is the way to becoming whole. It's the only way. We have to face it. And this type of talk in our culture, it's, it's lost right now. Guilt and shame are four-letter words to be voided at all costs. And I can't blame us for that, like from wanting to run away from that. But the problem is we can't avoid it. The shame and the guilt in our lives, we can pretend it's not there, but it won't go away. 